0: On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. On News Talk.
1: Sitting alongside me in studio, somebody who uh, previously had been a regular newspaper reviewer uh, on, on the record, Aoife Barry, who was then uh, the assistant news editor at the thejournal.ie. But Aoife is now with us today in her capacity as an author of Social Capital, Life Online in the Shadow of Ireland's Tech Boom. Uh, Aoife, great to have you in again, and thank you very much for, for joining us, because I know it's been in busy doing the, the promo circuit for all of this. Um, it strikes me, and this is something that you address very early in, in the book, that the internet is a very unique thing for everyone because everyone, especially now in the era of social media, curates their own feeds. So everyone's experience of the internet is very different which then must make it a very curious thing to take on as the topic of a book about how it's impacted on society
0: Yeah definitely first of all thanks for having me on and it is really weird to be on not talking with the newspapers I feel like reaching out and grabbing the Daily Mail or something and chatting about today's news stories Um, Yeah no you're right I mean taking on something like social media is you know it's difficult on a couple of fronts the first one like you're saying there you know if both of us logged on to the you know sorted apps and, and sites that we both go on to even if they were the exact same like Twitter and Instagram right now we'd still have a completely unique experience like our experiences would be totally different so it's obviously hard to I suppose replicate or reflect every single person's online social media experience in a book. Um, the second thing is that it's such a big area itself as well too in terms of like how long it's been going how many sites there are but at the same time I think it can kind of be drilled down to certain topics that are of note or that are particularly of interest to people and, and I, I suppose from my point of view I wanted to look at the stuff that maybe we haven't had a chance to stand back and say, oh, hang on, this has all been happening Mm. over this period of time. Um, So when I sat down to think about it, I was able to, you know, effectively break it down into the chapters that most of which are still there in the book. So you have stuff like racism, um, transphobia, influence, content moderation, misinformation. There's even a chapter on the Silicon Docs. So Mm. even though that might sound like hugely broad, once I knew what I wanted to write about, then I could find people that I wanted to talk to, interview them. And, you know, find in each different topic something that that reflected a point of interest mm. that showed us the journey that we've been on in terms of these all these different uh, topics And where, where did
1: the idea of trying to, to catalog the journey for for not just the country but for those of us living in it where did the idea of trying to tackle all of that originally come from
0: um so initially I was approached in terms of writing the book by the publisher Harper Collins because I had written a lot about um, Dublin and my relationship with Dublin and how it's developed and then I've also been obviously like yourself online mm. and working in <laughs> terms so. of Yeah, yeah, terminally online and working in digital media for so long. And so they could sense that these were things that I was really interested in and that I'd written about. And, you know, I'd had, you know, blogs when blogging was a thing, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, when I was chatting to the editor, Catherine Goff uh, at the time, together, you know, she she wanted to do something about this topic. And then together we hammered out what we thought the book should be about. And that was really interesting. I mean, you learn a lot of lessons, you know, in mm. the initial idea compared to what maybe the, the actual work um, that it takes to, to reflect that. But I, I think it's just a topic that's really interested me. And I think like yourself, anybody who's in journalism, we're very nosy people. Mm. You know, we're, we're interested mm. in things, we're interested in people. We want to hear what pe- other people are doing. So we find ourselves online. And I really loved the idea of sitting back and maybe analysing it and analysing, you know, our own roles online, how we behave online and doing it through through people's stories. Because I think storytelling is really important. Yeah. You know, there's an academic way of talking about things, but I'm a big fan of stories, other people's stories, my story. We all have one. So I do weave my own online journey <laughs> yeah um not to make it sound too interesting it's not that interesting girl goes on the internet when she's a teenager it stays on the internet for 20 odd years um I wanted to weave that around it and obviously there's a chapter as well about online harassment and my personal mm. experience of that so I, I you know I felt I wanted to include that not because I wanted to be like oh look at me look at what I went through but more like oh this happens and mm. we kind of maybe don't really talk about the impact of that too much I'll,
1: I'll come back to the harassment thing in just a couple of minutes if you don't mind but mm. um One thing which kind of strikes me about doing all this is that when you sit down to try and and work your way through all of this and then you go back and almost document the various eras of Mm. of online history, that it kind of it almost makes you grapple with things that maybe you didn't realise were there to be grappled with at the time you were living through it. Was there anything that you realised as you were sort of cataloging all of this, like ideas that crystallise or something that just goes, God, wait a minute, that was mad and that we didn't fully appreciate the gravity of?
0: I think I think almost as a whole, if you think about human behaviour online, how we have been influenced to behave certain ways by the actual platforms, which we have willingly given all of our time and attention to. So like the idea that you behave a certain way on Twitter because of the rules, unwritten rules or written rules of how Twitter asks its users to behave or Instagram or Be Real or whatever, Facebook. So that kind of came more to mind for me as I was writing it and reflecting on it afterwards that in a way, we were kind of this big experiment, you know, that nobody would ever done this before. The internet was brand new from the 1980s back in, into the 1990s. You had the kind of first wave of it. We were part of that second wave, really, mm. of social media going into the third wave now where you're thinking about, you know, uh, well, people would have said like Bitcoin and, and ChatGPT mm. and stuff like that, more AI. That it's very experimental, but we have. Gotten through our relationship with the internet by following the rules that were laid out by people who didn't really know what they were doing because they were breaking new ground the whole yeah. time. So I think that that really that really came to, to terms fore for Wh- me. Which
1: kind of begs the question then as to why those norms emerge differently in different platforms. That yeah. if if, uh, if Twitter and Instagram and Facebook are all unchartered, uncolonized territories when they start but they all do develop their own different nuances and lingo and parlance and norms that what is it about those platforms that make them all different
0: I think there's there's very specific things in terms of if you look at something like Instagram it's an image based platform so immediately you're going to have this aesthetic idea. So every image that you're going to put on Instagram has to say something. I Mm. mean, back in the day when Instagram first began, it was to have these almost nostalgic looking, beautiful images. So the idea of the the two guys who set up Instagram was to share beautiful images. But then as Instagram developed, people still wanted to share nice images. But these images started to be a story to, to say something. So now when you go on Instagram, you're thinking kind of image first whereas I think when you go into Twitter because it was formed to be like these status updates of here's what I'm doing you kind of go for these really pithy small Mm. short ways of kind of you know little updates little tweets to tell people what you're doing so I think we followed those rules and then you have a community where people from all over the world gather and they kind of create their own rules. You know, they kind of, you know, we see things emerging and we we decide, oh, I like that way of behaving or this gets me a reaction because there's a virality aspect to a lot of these apps too. So we behave certain ways to get get attention and then maybe we fall into the trap of continuing to do those things. Mm. And I don't think that we've had a lot of time to even think about that. And like, what does that mean if I keep, you know, doing things that Twitter wants me to do? Because I know myself, I'll go around sometimes, I'll have an experience and I'll think, oh, I could tweet that and I'll know yeah. exactly what I would say in the tweet. And now these days I literally have to stop myself yeah, tweeting it's just things the instinct to on do purpose. It, yeah. yeah, like total instinct. You
1: could almost write a whole thesis about the the loss of nuance online from Twitter being the primary text-based yeah. form of communication, how people were, were originally conditioned to fit it all in in the length of a text message exactly. or shorter. Exactly, exactly. Um, and the impact that's had on everything. Um, you mentioned in passing there your, your, your um, history of online harassment. And I have to profess some kind of not quite vested interest but some sort of personal interest in that In you mentioned that you were the assistant news Editor of the journal.ie you've just finished there after 12 years working yeah. there for the first two years I was also there yeah, we, we you sat know, alongside each other yeah, for quite a while yeah. but it strikes me that um, although the, probably the first elements of the harassment that you got which you detail in the book which you don't need to go into too much detail about um The first elements of that you were probably receiving while I was sitting at the desk next to you, not realising that any of that was happening. And in the same way that we all have different experiences because we all curate our own different feeds online, Mm -hmm. that some of us can find the internet to be a very empowering, friendly place, but that sometimes then we don't realise when others are being manipulated or just being harassed and yeah. it's kind of happening in a very unique circumstances.
0: Totally. And I think the thing, you know, back in the day when we first started getting those emails, because I think a lot of us got these emails from this person in the newsroom. It wasn't just me and in the end there was three of us who were part of the um, harassment case. You know, it was that idea of this was a brand new era. It was 2011, 2012. It was the first online digital website which is now one of the biggest news websites in the country. Mm-hmm. We were there from the very beginning and it was also coinciding with Twitter and other websites appearing. This a new era of, you know, instant contact, you're able to email a journalist. We were journalists sitting there in the newsroom thinking, oh wow, somebody can read a story and then email me and let me know You know if they don't like it or not, mm. which is mainly what they'll be telling you. So at the start, it didn't feel like anything unusual. It felt like this new thing that was of course going to happen. And it's only now how many years later, over 10 years later, 11 years later, that you think, God, yeah, you're really kind of maybe naive when these new things happen yeah. you know collectively we were all naive we, we didn't realise the impact of everybody being available I'm not just specifically talking about where he's working but yeah. in general online
1: Is there a salutary tale from that and I'd, I'd love to be able to talk about it for ages longer yeah. but time is against maybe me fine. Is there a salutary tale in that that we, we assume that all these tools to connect people are always going to be beneficial and that we don't realise some of the harmful ways that they can in some circumstances be manipulated.
0: Yeah and I think it goes back to also what you were saying there a second ago about everybody has an individual experience so if you're somebody who sets up an app for example and your experience online has tended to be really positive and you maybe haven't minded the negative stuff you've gotten or you're not a member of a minority community or you know you're not someone who'll typically get abused online then you will think oh it's great that anybody can access this information mm. it's great anybody can talk to me and anybody you know the person who set up Facebook people who set up Twitter Instagram they all wanted positive things out of it but unfortunately they would weren't putting the guardrails in place to mm. moderate human behaviour at a certain point and that's why we've ended up where we have now with misinformation with bad behaviour with issues mm. of content moderation uh,
1: It's a fascinating read and a fascinating audiobook which is the way that I've taken it <laughs> as well and narrated by Aoife herself not yep. just about uh, the way in which the internet has changed us but the ways about it's changed the country as well uh, Social Capital Life Online in the Shadow of Ireland's Tech Boom written by Aoife Barry Aoife thanks so much for joining
0: us Thank you on the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at eleven. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different
1: skill sets, diverse opinions. It all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.